that you want to try that. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this Tuesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show here on The Basement Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Logan Blackman. Logan underscore Blackman. Blackman Logan at the Logan at the underscore LB underscore show at the Logan Blackman Show at the Logan Blackman Show Facebook edition. And the Logan Blackman Show on YouTube. Good morning. We got a bunch of different names for this fantastic Tuesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. But we are here and we are live on this Monday here on July 27th here in 2020. It's 4.51 right now. This show, I'm not going to lie, might be a shorter show. So the reason why is because last night, so okay, before last night, I was I agreed to be a part of the Des Moines Bills backers fantasy football league. They had an opening. Um, my dad logged me into it, got me in there. So I am participating in a Bills backers fantasy football league. I don't know why I stuttered on. I said football, then the huge space, then league. But I checked last night just to randomly see when the draft was. Just last night, I looked there. The draft is tonight, Monday, July twenty seventh at six. It is 4.51 right now, so I will say I am going to shoot for like a 50-minute episode today. If anything's like yesterday where I ramble on for the first half hour, that is going to be impossible. But I don't think we're going to do that today. But that's why I'm hoping this show is a little shorter than what we are usually accustomed to. We got some good topics to talk about, though. We got a lot of soccer to talk about. MLS is back. I got my Premier League team of the season. My team of the season. I got my reasoning behind every picks and also some alternates. For my team of the season, I'll post those on social media tomorrow, or today, Tuesday, when you're listening to the show. So make sure you go and look at that to hear, once you see that, just click on the podcast link to hear the full reasoning. So with that being said, let's get straight into the MLS is back tournament. Good God, last night was a stressful one. Sporting Kansas City, massive I can stress the the massivity, the masti the, the mastivity of is that a word? Uh, it is now of the, how big of an underdog Vancouver was versus Sporting Kansas City last night. It was freaking ridiculous last night, and good God, Sporting Kansas City made me almost have a heart attack the entire game. I've never been so frustrated watching a Sporting Kansas City game, and I've been frustrated a lot watching Sporting Kansas City games. They've underachieved so many times. This entire tournament so far, they should not have lost to Minnesota United. There's no way in hell they should have almost drew with the Colorado Rapids. Let alone almost lost. They were down to nine men and they came back in the game. But in this game, being the massive favorites that they were against a lowly Vancouver Whitecaps team that was on their third string goaltender, 21-year-old guy, just a little guy. He's making his debut. He made his debut in the last game. I believe he made his debut in the last Yeah, he definitely did. He played in the last game for Vancouver. And then had himself a damn near perfect game last night. Sunday night, for those since we're listening on Tuesday. Hassel, the wall of Hassel is what uh, Stu Holden kept calling it last night in the broadcast. On who scored rating, he was the man of the match at 8.9 rating in the game for Hassel. 21 years old. You want to know what I was doing at 21 years old? This. Not necessarily in my basement, but I was doing a radio show. This dude is playing on the biggest occasion for a team that should not have, has no business being there. Even their own manager would say that. I'm a year and a half older than this guy. He's born on July 9th, 1999. I'm a year and a half older than this kid. And he's making saves against Sporting Kansas City. And KC, this went exactly to plan for Vancouver, minus the result at the end of the game. So, long story short, Sporting Kansas City figured it out, but we'll get to the penalty shootout in a little bit. But this is exactly how the Vancouver Whitecaps wanted to play in this game. Exactly how they wanted to play this game. They went into the game knowing they were massive underdogs. They knew this. It wasn't something that they went in like, oh man, we were expecting to win this game. No, Mark DeSantos got them playing a pretty much perfect game plan for parking the bus in a game and trying to exploit Sporting Kansas City on the counterattack. Sporting Kansas City got so frustrated last night, they just started pelting shots towards the goal. 
I have never seen a game in my life in any level of soccer. MLS, Premier League, La Liga, Ligue 1 in France, JUSC soccer. Never in my life have I seen a more lopsided game end in penalties. Sporting Kansas City, 37 shots in this game. 37. That is the fourth most, if I listened to Stu Holden last night correctly, fourth most in MLS history. Vancouver had eight. But with all of those, you know how many shots Sporting Kansas City had on target? I'm pretty sure it was eight shots on target. Yeah, out of 37 shots, they had eight on target. Hassal made eight saves in the game. 22 shots off target in this game. Seven shots blocked for Sporting Kansas City. Like, good God. That game was so frustrating. Alan Polito had himself nine shots in the game. Johnny Russell, five. Roger Espinoza, five. Everybody, except for Shallowy, Poonchek, and Melia, registered a shot in the game for Sporting Kansas City. That is ridiculous how bad of a return that is on goals. Now, I need to do the math here. Load up the calculator on my computer. So, what we got? Was it 8 divided by 37? They had a 22% shot accuracy in this game. They had a 20... Their shot accuracy was 21.6. We're rounding up to 22. What a... I mean, exciting game. Had you on the edge of your seat the entire time. And Stu Holden was calling it right pretty much the entire game. If Sporting Kansas City scores, because at the start of the game, Sporting played very they played their style of game. They pressed up fast, looked like they were going to score a goal extremely early, like they did against Real Salt Lake, with Johnny Russell scoring in the 52nd, 51st second of the game. But no, it didn't happen like that. Hassal uh ran into the camera during the game. Hassal got a little knee to the back of the head from Alan Polito. Was concussed, probably concussed. I don't know if he's just a little woozy or something or needed a little break. Got two breaks in the span of like three minutes in that game. For it was crazy. It was absolute craziness in that. But it looked like it was going to be a dominating sporting Kansas City win. 3 nothing final. That's what it was looking like. And Stu Holden called it. If Sporting Kansas City score early, if they start scoring, it'll be a landslide victory for Sporting. If they can't, it's going to be a very frustrating game for Sporting. You could tell as the game went on, legs started to get heavier, especially in Gotti Kinda. Start, his legs started to get a little heavier throughout the game. You could see some of the touches Kinda had at the end of the game where he was just it was hitting his foot and sliding another direction. It was like if, my, if I kicked a soccer ball at my dad, his first touch essentially was Gotti Kinda's towards the end of the game. He was just dead tired. Polito had a couple very nice shots here. Polito's a freaking godsend. That dude, that dude's awesome. He's played five games for Sporting, or is it five or six now? Six games now. This was his sixth game for Sporting Kansas City. He's already the captain of the freaking team. Matt Beasler's been dropped. Graham Smith has come in, has played pretty decent, struggled on some corner kicks last night, had a couple open headers on goal and just skied them, which is just a problem of Sporting last night anyways. A lot of good shots, at least you would think were good shots, or good, good opportunities for shots. And they just sky him over the bar or put him nowhere on target. Or, like, there was a situation with uh, Luis Martins and I think Gerso. Maybe it was Ilya. I can't remember who it was. But the ball bounced back and then he just lashed at it. Skied it. If there was in the net there, I don't know where this ball would have landed. I don't know what direction the field is facing, but they're gonna. it was going to go to Tampa. I don't know where Tallahassee. We're, we're looking at the north and south of Florida. I, do, I don't know. Maybe Orlando is south of Tampa. I don't know how Florida works. Florida is its own country as far as I'm concerned. Same with, like, Nebraska. I don't really care. But good God. I don't know why Graham Zuzzi's refusing to take set pieces anymore. You saw Martins take set pieces. Johnny Russell took a ton of set pieces. Gianluca Bustio takes set pieces. Gerso Fernandez took set pieces. Zuzzi did not take one. Zuzzi was the set-piece set specialist for the United States at the 2014 World Cup, has usually been the set-piece specialist for Sporting Kansas City for the entirety of his career while playing for Sporting Kansas City. It was him. Benny Failhaber was another one. 
And then Dom Dwyer would like to lash him in with his left foot. That's where Johnny Russell comes into play. Those uh, UK players. Now, is Scotland part of the UK still? Is it? Maybe it's not. I don't know. Those people, the British Isles. That's not the British Isles. That's Guernsey and Jersey. Uh, whatever. Polito takes the short free kicks, the direct free kicks. Uh, Busia, whenever he comes in, takes the corners. Martins takes corners. Russell takes corners. Zuzi doesn't do anything anymore. He has great energy. Didn't look like Zuzi slowed down at all last night. He was chasing down everybody. According to WhoScored.com, he was the second best player or third best player on the field last night. Buying Ilya Sanchez and Johnny Russell. I'm discl- and discounting Tim Melia, who had an amazing game last night, especially from the penalty spot. But it's just a very, very frustrating game. For Sporting Kansas City and their fans, it was just not... I mean, it was a good game in the fact that if you're a neutral, zeros, you can't get a lot more exciting in a 0-0 game than that one last night with how many shots were taken in this game by one team. Now, one team was just sitting back the entire time but was defending with all of their might with a 21-year-old goalkeeper and barely anybody on this team. And they fought... Like, their lives depended on it. They made one sub last night for having as little players as they did. And they still played awesome. When Reyna came into the game, I'm not going to lie, I got a little nervous. He scored a lot of late winners, or late, late, he just scored a lot of late goals for the Vancouver Whitecaps. And it scared me a little bit, not going to lie. Adnan took a very scary free kick that Tim Melia kind of bobbled a little bit in the later parts of the game. Nice little knuckleball towards Tim Melia's left side. He bobbled it when he caught it, kind of deflected it and caught it again. Gerso brings in that speed and energy. Uh, Johnny Russell looked dead. Uh, Kiri Shelton started to look dead towards the end of the game. He always brings good energy, but he's kind of, sometimes he can be a little like, I don't know, he's a big, massive guy. And sometimes he plays like that, meaning he's not very technical. But he'll run forward, he'll make plays, and that stuff, he'll score goals every once in a while. But overall, a very frustrating game for sport. I almost was in, I was in disbelief. I was like, this can't actually be happening, can it? Can Vancouver actually beat Sporting? But then once it went to penalties, I wasn't nervous anymore. When you have a goalkeeper with the, cal- the caliber of Tim Melia, your fears of losing a penalty shootout subside. I know about the thing when they lost to the Portland Timbers in the playoffs a few years ago with Saad Abdul Salam double posting it. Losing the game in Portland. That sits very well in the back of my mind. But then you also think of the ones of the 2013 MLS Cup shootout. Or Sporting Kansas City won on that one. I know Tim Melia wasn't the goaltender for that. He wasn't the goaltender for the game against Portland either. But throughout his career, minus last night, Tim Melia is 4-0. And last night, he proved why he might be the best penalty saver in the MLS last night. He dove the right way. Now, I don't know if this is a credit, mostly a credit to Tim Melia or a discredit to how terrible of penalty shooters and how easy, easily they are to read in Vancouver's penalty shooting. Tim Melia dove the right way every single time. And in the game, in, in the penalty shootout, Tim Melia had a save where he was already on the left side of the goal and the guy still took it to that side. I don't remember who took the penalty. But I remember uh, Alan Polito did a nice little Bruno Fernandez-style penalty kick with the jump. Joseph Martinez also does this as well. Froes Hassal. Hassal got two hands to Ilya Sanchez's penalty. Somehow it got out. Daniel Shallowy took an absolutely horrific penalty. And then Gianluca Busio, who amazes me every time he plays. 18 years old, still getting game time in sporting. Nails a penalty to end the game. But Vancouver, terrible penalty shooting from the Vancouver Whitecaps. But also great goalkeeping from Timalia. Dove the right way every single time. Off the post the first one, he got a hand to it the second time with on Owusu's penalty shot. Got a freaking hand to it. Looked like his little pinky got it, and it went in. And then two back-to-back saves. Beautiful stuff from Timalia. But Hassal Melia played themselves great games. Hassal being 21, third-choice goalkeeper. This is awesome. It was awesome to see that. From I can I can imagine how great it would have been from a neutral standpoint, being like, oh, my God, this team that should have no business being in the knockout stage, let alone being in this game, they shouldn't have even been in the knockout stage. 
is beat is looks like they have the advantage against a team that is one of the favorites to win this freaking tournament in Sporting Kansas City. Now, being a Sporting Kansas City fan and being the pessimistic type of fan that I am, I cannot give Sporting Kansas City the MLS Cup title or the, what do they call? Is this the? Are they actually doing MLS Cup, or is this like a different name? The MLS is back tournament championship. I don't know if they're giving away MLS Cup for this because I've been I've heard things that the MLS is working on getting a season in like an actual season. I got the screenshot with me. Hold on, let me get to it. Okay, so this is from MLS News uh, Instagram account. According to the Athletic, MLS is planning to continue the regular season at home markets beginning August 22nd. Here are the details. 18 games regular seasons after the tournament. Teams would play six games between August 22nd and September 13th. Uh, during this phase, the Canadian teams would remain in Canada and only play amongst each other. Phase 2 would have 12 games from September 16th and November 8th. Canadian teams would be able to play American teams in Phase 2. Dallas and Nashville play three games against each other to make up for their games they missed in the tournament. All games would likely be in be intra interconference matchups. 18 teams, nine per conference, would make the playoffs. Playoffs begin November 20th. All games single elimination. MLS Cup on December 12th. That's the beauty of the MLS. You get all the all the seasons in the MLS. Even if it wasn't like that, you get all the seasons in the MLS. You start off cold. You get extremely hot. You start to cool down a little bit, and the MLS Cup, it's freezing cold. You look at the MLS Cups in uh, Toronto. You look at the MLS Cup in the, that I mentioned in 2013 with sporting. Theirs was a freaking, like, looked miserably cold out that game. But it's two cold-weather teams in RSL and Sporting Kansas City, or teams that are used to playing in cold weather sometimes. More used to it than LAFC and Orlando City and all that stuff, LA Galaxy, Houston, those teams. They might not play in cold weather all the time, but they're more used to it than those teams. They actually have, they actually have had cold weather games. But sporting, damn near gave me a heart attack yesterday. Good lord, got to bed around twelve eighteen was when the game ended, when Bustio put the penalty in. I think I got to bed around twelve thirty. I celebrated with my dog. He did not want me to be up anymore. He was looking at me pretty much the entire game. I had to keep quiet because again, it's midnight on a Sunday night. So I, we got to go to work the next morning. So I got everybody sleeping upstairs. So I got to make sure that I stay a little quieter than what I would be if this game was at seven o'clock rather than starting at 10 o'clock. But yeah, at least they got the win. I don't know how it'd be today. If they got the win, you see, you hear my voice now and it's not the happiest voice in the world. Imagine if they lost, I'd be a wreck this morning. The absolute wreck, but Sporting, moving on, will play the Philadelphia Union in the next game. And then another game took place yesterday, and it was New York City FC beating Toronto FC 3-1. to Toronto have been very good, typically, against New York City FC, but not last night. The moment I take my eye off New York City FC, after I've been hyping them up all season, I had them as one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference in my preseason predictions, I had them winning their group in the MLS's back tournament. And, yeah, they pounded Toronto 3-1. to It was 3-0 until Mullins got a goal in the 87th minute of the game. I did not see that coming. Because I had picked NYCFC a lot in this tournament. And... And even in the regular season, I have a lot of high hopes for this team. They got some really talented players on this team. Morales being one, Ring, the captain's really good or decent player. Tenerolm's a decent right back. You got Sean Johnson there as well. You got Castellanos getting a goal last night. Medina scored in the fifth minute of the game. Like, they got some very talented players on this team. But I was like, ah, they've been letting me down every time I picked them. So it just makes sense to me that they actually dominated a team I did not see them winning. Are not dominated, but they they beat them. The scoreline might seem a little unfair to Toronto, as they had more possession, had more total shots, had a higher success rate in passing, had more dribbles, won more aerials, had more corners. You would think that looking at that, that Toronto won the game, but no. NYCFC with a three-one victory over Toronto FC. So if I look at my pre 
tournament predictions, my MLS knockout stage predictions. Right now, I'm three for one. I'm three for four right now. I had NYCFC losing to Toronto. I didn't Toronto. I almost had them losing to Portland in the next round. I really should have had that because they're they've been shaky at the back. They've allowed five goals this tournament, but I thought the six goals they scored prior to this game would be enough against NYCFC, who squeaked in to this round. NYCFC had scored two goals this tournament, had allowed four. So with NYC with Toronto scoring six and allowing five, I really didn't think that NYCFC would have. In the back of my mind, I was like, pick them, pick them. They're better than what they're showing in the tournament so far. It's this early season. Because, again, it's the beginning of the season. They have played five games. You know how many teams turn it around after five games? How many teams falter after a good five games? But I didn't think that. I was like, oh, they haven't played good in the tournament. I'm going to go away from Maybe that's all they needed. Maybe they needed me to back away from them to actually show their true potential. But they squeaked in to the knockout stages thanks to an LA Galaxy penalty. From, a Christian, from Christian Pavone to send them into the knockout stage. They really didn't deserve it, did they? I don't know. They had a minus two goal difference. They won their last game against Inter-Miami by one, one nothing. And Houston scored five goals in this tournament. The second, the joint most out of the third place teams in this tournament. They actually had a better goal differential than two teams that made it to the knockout stage. One being NYCFC, the other being the Vancouver Whitecaps. Both those teams, uh, whatever. I thought NYCFC would make it by winning the freaking bracket. Winning their bracket with Orlando City with no great teams really in that bracket. I liked the Philadelphia Union. I had them finishing second, which is where they finished. But I did not think Orlando would be as good as they would have been. And their run of form right now is very, very good. And they carried that into a Montreal Impact game. With Montreal Impact starting very hot this season with Thierry Henry. Not necessarily the MLS's back tournament, but the MLS regular season, they were one of the top teams. Granted, it was only through two games. Got a couple big-name players in that team as well as Bojan, Victor Wanyama, and then, of course, Thierry Henry managing, who flopped at Monaco his first time in management. But yeah, that's what we're looking like in the MLS is back knockout tournament. We got games coming up the 27th, so tonight we have Seattle versus LAFC, the, probably the most anticipated game in this tournament. Unfair to that one of these teams has to lose. I feel really bad when teams like Orlando City and Montreal are playing each other. Seattle and LAFC, have one of them is going to lose tonight. And it sucks because we are forced to watch Orlando City the rest of the tournament. Though they've been playing, yeah, they've been playing good. But you're sitting there listening to this, you're like, you're not going to sit there and tell me you'd rather watch Orlando City rather than LAFC and Seattle. Now, if LAFC had Carlos Vea, they would have had no problems winning their group. Carlos Vea, LAFC is not just Carlos Vea, but Carlos Vea takes that team to a whole nother level. See what Diego Rossi's doing? You see what Bradley Wright Phillips finding his feet again in the MLS after leaving as probably the greatest player in New York Red Bulls history? Not probably, I say he probably, he is the greatest player in their history. Finding his feet at LAFC? Defense a little shaky, you can tell they're kind of missing Walker Zimmerman. Now at Nashville, hasn't played in this tournament though. As they've allowed seven goals. They've allowed, they've scored 11, which is very, very impressive. I believe that's the most in the tournament so far. But they've allowed seven. Seattle, Nicholas Lodero, Jordan Morris. It's going to be a fun game. Very fun game. they got San Jose versus Real Salt Lake, which should be a fun game as well. I didn't really know how good San Jose was going to be in this tournament. The aging wonder Chris Wondolowski, the greatest goal scorer in MLS soccer history. See, I did that like the website, MLSsoccer.com, MLS, Major League Soccer, Soccer.com. They've been awesome this tournament. Seven points, six goals scored. Got their place locked in early in this tournament. Did not see them finishing above Seattle, but they did. Drew nil-nil with Seattle the first time they played them. And Seattle had a rough game against the Chicago Fire. But that's the way the crookie crumbles sometimes. It should be San Jose versus Real Salt Lake. Or versus LAFC and Seattle versus Real Salt Lake. That's how it should be. I don't want to see Seattle or LAFC out of this tournament this early. I don't like either team necessarily. Clint Dempsey, my favorite U.S. soccer player of all time. When he was on Seattle, could have cared less. I mean, I've never had anything bad to say about Seattle. They had Obafemi Martins and Clint Dempsey, one of the greatest strike partnerships in MLS history. 
Those two were awesome together. Never won anything together, but they were awesome together. Had some great players throughout their history as well. Casey Keller played there for a little bit after he was done with his tour in, in Europe, mostly in Germany. Then you see the likes of Chad Marshall, one of the highest per appearance makers in MLS history. You see Stefan Fry, one of the greatest goaltenders in modern MLS history. Brad Evans, longtime captain there. Ozzy Alonso, now with uh, Minnesota United. Freddie Montero, one of their, probably their greatest player in their history. Now you got Lick, Nicholas Lodero. They got some talented players in their history. And LAFC are just too new. I just don't care about them. I mean, I appreciate what they're doing, kind of like what Atlanta's doing. I don't really dislike them. I, I just don't care. <laughs> LAFC's a great team when everybody's healthy. Uh, same with Atlanta. Did not expect Atlanta to get dropped out as early as they did, but now we got to watch uh, FC Cincinnati versus Portland. If Portland somehow loses, I said that Sporting Kansas City would blow out Vancouver. Did not see that coming at all. A penalty shootout. I will be absolutely shocked and floored if Portland and FC Cincinnati do not finish with a Portland win in regular time. That I do not see that going to penalty. I could see Seattle Sounders versus LAFC going to penalties tonight. That would be a very good penalty shootout. I'm going 2-1, though, for Seattle. I'm actually going to go with the penalty shootout in Real Salt Lake versus San Jose. I'm going to go San Jose giving the edge on penalties with Chris Wondolowski and the rest of the boys getting them past Real Salt Lake. But, yeah. I just, can't, I just hate Real Salt Lake, so I can't really say Real Salt Lake's going to win. <laughs> I can't. It's like my Premier League predictions when I said Liverpool won't win the league. I can't say Liverpool will win the league. That's not in my nature to say that. I cannot physically say – I mean, I'm saying it now, but I'm not going to stick my neck out and say they're going to win a league. I don't – I I might have to bite the to bite the bullet on next year's predictions or this upcoming season. I guess it's not next year anymore, but next season's predictions by saying they're going to win the league because they're freaking insane. Unless Man City gets some good players in Manchester United, Jane Sancho looks to be happening soon. Conflicting reports, though. Some are saying it's he. It looks like Jane Sancho wants to be a Manchester United player. Positives. That's what we're open for. Jane Sancho being a future Manchester United player. But for right now, Premier League season done. Man, you finished third. Now we focus on the MLS's back tournament. But even though I just said we're going to focus on the MLS's back tournament, we've talked for about 20 minutes about it so far. So I want to reveal my Premier League team of the season. We didn't get to this yesterday. We, that Again, that first half hour kind of screwed everything up for the rest of the show. So we didn't talk about anything of note in the first half hour. Nothing of note at all. So here is my 2020 or 2019-2020 Premier League TOTS team of the season. I'll tweet this out and post this on Instagram tomorrow. So make sure you're listening to the show today. I guess to I can't, I gotta figure out that this show is getting recorded a day before. I'm not recording it at night and recording it for Monday. I'm recording it for Tuesday. I gotta get that out of my head that this is for Monday. This is for Tuesday. So I'll be posting this today. It's probably already gonna be out when this episode is released. But here we go. My Premier League team of the season. I don't. I think this is gonna be it. I'm going to stick my neck out of the line and guarantee this is going to be the team of the season. Maybe a couple players miss out, but for most of it, I bet I get 11, a t 9 out of 11 at least in this team. There's nine of these I am going to stick my neck out and say they're going to happen. There's two of them that I might be, uh, might not happen. So if you didn't know, the Premier League finished yesterday, Saturday, or Sunday, 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 Monster Truck Rally. So today is Monday. I again, I'm sorry. I'm struggling with all of this. So whew, we're just gonna get it. so recap of what happened yesterday, Sunday. Uh Norwich, Watford, and Bournemouth all got damned to the second division of English football. Uh yeah, Manchester United finished third, Chelsea fourth, Leicester in fifth, Tottenham got into Europa League, and Liverpool won the league. So that's what we've got in the Premier League. So here is the team of the season goaltender, Ederson. I got the Golden Gloves winner right. I said Ederson would win the Golden Gloves in my Premier League predictions. Dead on. Now, I want to look at my pre... I guess I want to look at my preseason best 11 of the Premier League. Because I, I guess I didn't look at that yesterday. Premier League predictions, best 11. Here, so I can compare what's going on. So, I have Ederson in there. Ederson is my goaltender. That stayed the same. Ederson won the Golden Gloves, made six, had 16 clean sheets. Didn't have a great title defense for Manchester City, but they scored a crap ton of goals. 
but Ederson stopped a lot of goals as well. Pipping Nick Pope to the goaltender on the best 11 this year, PFA Team of the Year. Now, other people, again, Nick Pope, 15 clean sheets this season, was so close to getting the Golden Glove this year but missed out. And the other one, Dean Henderson, uh, was a big reason why Sheffield United finished in ninth this year. But Sheffield, and I'll talk about this with someone else a little bit later too, Sheffield United gave up 39 goals this year. If we were going off a season and ranking teams by that instead of how many points they got this season, Sheffield United would rank fourth in the Premier League. Right behind Liverpool, Man City, and Manchester United. Three of the biggest clubs right now in England. The two biggest clubs in England, Manchester United and Liverpool. And then a bigger club in Man City. And Sheffield United are right up there with them with their shoestring budget. Not being able to buy the players that Manchester United, City, and Liverpool are able to buy. And they still finish fourth in goals allowed this season. So Dean Henderson gets a huge standing ovation for that. And especially with how things started in the restart. Back-to-back 3-0 losses. And they still had a 39 goals allowed this season. Ridiculous for Sheffield United. Now, Dean Henderson did not play in the second 3-0 thrashing. So I'm not going to put that on Dean Henderson. Their backup was in for that one because it was against Manchester United. And Loney's cannot play against their parent club. So that's why Dean Henderson did not play against United. Right back, my preseason prediction, I said Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Now, I have him as an alternate. He's my first or second alternate, depending on who you ask. But I have Trent Alexander-Arnold. He is second in the league in the Premier League. He's second in the league in assists this year with 13. Right behind, not, not really right behind, but behind Kevin De Bruyne. So, I could, like, Aaron Wan-Bissaka this year led the Premier League in tackles with 129 tackles this season. The most in the league. He also averaged 3.7 tackles per game, which ranked third in the Premier League. Which I don't know how that works out, but who scored had the 3.7? I've been reading the 229 tackles. Ricardo Pereira, in tackles per game, actually has the highest number of that in the Premier League with 4.2, which is the most in the Premier League, the right back for Leicester City. Those two, I think, are the only real candidates to topple Trent Alexander-Arnold. But with Liverpool winning the league, it is going to be very hard for any player for it's just going to be hard for any player to break in to Liverpool's team of the season there's going to be a lot of Liverpool players in this team of the season first title in 30 years they're going to get sympathy votes on that and Liverpool were just insane all season anyways until the restart happened next one uh this one is one that I might be this one's a little interesting here but Chris Basham from Sheffield United so as we said Sheffield United finished the season with 39 goals allowed this season fourth most or fourth least in the league. Chris Basham, though, according to WhoScored.com, was Southampton or Sheffield United's best player with 6.98 player rating. He had four Man of the Match awards, which is most in Sheffield United, by two. Next closest had two, if you know how to do math. He led Sheffield United in tackles per game with 2.24 tackles, led Sheffield United interceptions with 2.03 a game, and the defense, as we said, allowed 39 goals, which is the fourth best in the league. I think a Sheffield United player has to make it. I could be swayed. You could put Egan on there, but he was behind Basham in every single category. Most important categories for a central defender. Dean Henderson could easily get thrown on this as well. But I think Basham, with the season that he had and his importance to Sheffield United, should be on this team this season. Now you could put Kaglar Soyonku on there. It was a very impressive season for Leicester in the wake of Harry Maguire leaving. I had Imeric Laporte. As the first center back on here, he I don't think he will be on there this year. If you Depending on who you ask, he's probably the second best central defender in the Premier League, but did not have that good of a season this year comparing, comparing to what he's used to, like he did last year. The other center back, uh, Virgil van Dijk, he's the best center back in the world. There's not really a lot to compare about that. Him and Sergio Ramos are on a different level than anybody else in the world right now. It's insane. Uh, 8.8. Uh, he had 85.8 passes per game, which was the most in the Premier League by a decently wide margin. Virgil van Dijk is insane. I don't really need to do a lot of explaining. He's Liverpool's best player. He's in the Liverpool won the league this year. He's going to make the team of the season. Next one, I had Virgil van Dijk in there as center back. Next one for left back, Andrew Robertson, who I also had in my team of the season for my preseason team of the season. Uh, he had third most assists in the Premier League. He had 12 assists this year. And again, him and Trent Alexander-Arnold are the best attacking fullbacks duos in the world. By far. I don't really think there's a lot comparing there. You might 
be able if this was like three years ago, Donnie Carvajal and Marcelo would easily be up there as well. They could be you could argue those guys would be one of the best in the world there. Others that you could think of, um Jordi Alba and Donny Alves Donny Alves would be a very good one. Do, Jordi Alba though is a work not a great defender compared to the other two that we've mentioned, but Donny Alves is one of the greatest right backs of modern day soccer, modern day football, whatever you want to say. But Robertson will easily be the Premier League's left back for the team of the season. Now, they play in a three a four three three for the team of the season. First central midfielder I got on here is Kevin De Bruyne, who was also there as my player. I had him as the top assister in the league this year, and I did not have that person as player or player of the season. But he led the Premier League in assists, 20 assists to his name this season. First player to have 20 assists in two leagues, two or more leagues. He had 20 assists in the Bundesliga with Wolfsburg and had 20 assists this year with Manchester City. First player to do it in the, in the English Premier League since Thierry Henry. Messi was the first player since Thierry Henry to score 20 and 20 in a season. 20 goals, 20 assists. De Bruyne's the first player to have 20 assists in the Premier League since Henry, which shows how great of a player Thierry Henry was. But Kevin De Bruyne, 20 assists, was the highest-rated player according to WhoScored.com, 7.97, had 3.9 key passes per game, and won 10 Man of the Match awards, which was three more than the next closest people. There was two tied on seven. We'll get to those two in a little bit. But Kevin De Bruyne easily is on there. If Liverpool didn't win the league, he would be the player of the season. But since they did, that reward is going to go to Jordan Henderson, who was the Premier League, who was going to be the Premier League player of the season, PFA player of the year. He captained Liverpool to their first title in 30 years. That's pretty much it. You captained the side the winning team in the Premier League, had 99 points a season, and just were great. That's really it. That's all he really needs to do. Captained. Liverpool to that title and he played great this year not just captain he had a great season as a player and to think a few years ago people thought he was terrible I remember when he took over for Steven Gerrard as the captain for Liverpool and everybody thought I was a laughing stock now he's won a Champions League he's won a FIFA Club World Cup and now he's won a Premier League he's won a few other awards along the way as well but he will win the PFA player of the year if he hasn't already and the next one on here might be a little controversial but I'm going to throw in Bruno Fernandez, Manchester United's talisman. Uh, since he's come over to Manchester United, they finished third. They were in, they were not challenging for Champions League soccer before Bruno Fernandez got there. Let's just say it like that. In 14 games, he scored eight goals, seven assists. Now I am aware that a lot of those goals were penalties, but a lot of the things he did on the field for Manchester United were amazing. They won three, four games on the bounce by three or more goals, which is ridiculous to think about. Manchester United have been undefeated since Bruno Fernandes has joined the team. Undefeated. They've drawn some games, but they have not lost since Bruno Fernandes has been on the team. Other players you could throw in there, Jack Grealish with what he did for Aston Villa, captaining them, saving them from relegation, a certain drop it looked like. They were seven points clear at the start of the restart, if I remember correctly. And stayed up by the skin of their teeth. He scored the goal that eventually kept them up this season. Other players you can mention up there for midfielders. Um, That's about it, I think. Uh, Wilford Ndidi could easily be mentioned as one of the top midfielders in the Premier League. Uh, Wilford Ndidi, 4.0 tackles per game, which was second in the league. 2.5 interceptions a game, which is also second in the league. Jack Grealish, as we said, eight goals, six assists, was the best player on Aston Villa, was the captain that kept him up. So those players could easily get mentioned up there, but I think Bruno Fernandes, Jordan Henderson, and Kevin De Bruyne will be those players at the end of the season. Now, for my thing, I had Kevin De Bruyne, Wilfred Ndidi, and Bernardo Silva this season. But Bernardo Silva really did not... He might have played as much as he did last year, but he didn't start... As much. Riyad Mahrez had himself a fantastic season this year from the wing, which kind of took over Bernardo Silva's spot in the starting lineup. Phil Foden found himself in the starting lineup a lot towards the end of the season with all the stuff he was doing on the field. But yeah, I did honestly did not see Jordan Henderson being up there. And from the reports at that time, it looked like Manchester United ended their interest in Bruno Fernandez and then it hyped up again at the start of the second half of the season. The first second half of the season. 
the second quarter, I guess you could say. The third period, second period, I guess, because it can't. There's only been three quarters, I guess, to the Premier League season so far. But yeah, Bruno Fernandez for what he's done for Manchester United has to be in the team of the season. I know he's only played since January, but he has Kevin De Bruyne and Jordan Henderson are locks. I don't care, they're locks. So who's going to be the last guy? I think the only one that can really compete with that is Bruno Fernandez. Now for the forwards, um, I put Mohamed Salah or. Adama Traore as my right winger. Why did I put Adama Traore there? So Adama Traore finished the season with nine assists, which was eighth. He had a 7.49 who scored rating, which ranked third best in the Premier League and averaged five dribbles a game, which was easily the best in the Premier League. The speed, the power he had, switching from a white wing back to a right winger changed him so much. Now he's getting linked to the likes of Juventus. Liverpool have been linked to him. Manchester City have been linked to him. Barcelona, his former club, his parent club, he's been linked with. But he has to be mentioned up there. Uh, but Mohamed Salah, I think, is more deserving. 19 goals this season, which ranked 5th. He also had 10 assists this season, which ranked 6th in the league. He was a Premier League winner for Liverpool. Like they said, there's going to be a lot of Liverpool players in this league, in this list for their first title in 30 years. There's going to be a crap ton of Liverpool players. Now, insane they were for most of the season, minus the restart. going to be a lot of Liverpool players. And he also had 3.9 shots per game, which ranked first in the Premier League. So out of those two, I'm going to go with Mohamed Salah, but I think Traore is very deserving of a spot in this, but I'm going to give it to Salah. The left winger, another Liverpool player, Sadio Mane, 18 goals, 7 assists this season, won 7 Man of the Match awards in the Premier League. Joint second in the league with Marcus Rashford for Manchester United. 7 Man of the Match awards. And also with Bruno Fernandes, I didn't mention this. Two player, Premier League Player of the Months in the last three months. David Silva won one in ten years in the Premier League. Just how great Fernandes was for this short period of time he's been at Manchester United. David Silva is Manchester City's greatest ever player, you could argue. Him and Sergio Aguero are probably number one and two. Bruno Fernandes has been absolutely insane. But Mane, seven Man of the Match awards this year for Liverpool. As they rumped to the league title for the first time in 30 years. He has to be the left winger. And striker, Jamie Vardy, he won the Golden Boot. 23 goals. First Leicester player to win a Golden Boot since Gary Lineker back in the day. It's been a while since the Leicester players won the Golden Boot. I think Jamie Vardy is much deserving on this. And for my Premier League predictions at the beginning of the season, I had Mohamed Salah. I have him on my list now. Harry Kane, who scored still, for the amount of games he played, still scored a decent number of goals. And then Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling can get mentioned in here. He scored 20 goals which was the fourth highest in the league, or yeah, fourth highest in the league, was the highest scorer for the team that scored the most goals in the Premier League this season, scored 102 goals. He scored 20 of them. But the thing that's keeping him out of my team of the season is the fact that he only had one assist this season in the Premier League. Scored 20 goals, had one assist. Very mellow numbers. He had one man of the match award this season in the Premier League. His greatest ever goal-scoring tally. I had him, actually, as my Premier League player of the season at the start of the year. So that's what I had for that. But he's just missing out because of the fact that he only had the one assist. You look at the likes of Salah and Mane. Salah scored 19 goals and had 10 assists. One goal behind Sterling with nine more assists. You look at Mane, 18 goals, seven assists. All of those are better than what Sterling produced this year. And goal contributions this year. So those are why I have Mane and Salah in this team ahead of Raheem Sterling and why I even have Adama Traore above Raheem Sterling this year. But that's for the right wing spot. Sterling's primarily a left winger now with the emergence of how good Riyad Mahrez played this year. Mahrez this year, 11 goals, 9 assists, had the 4th best who scored rating out of all the Premier League players. So that's what I've got for my Premier League team of the season. Let's read through that again. Uh, Ederson is the goaltender. Back four reads Trent Alexander-Arnold, Chris Basham, Virgil van Dijk, and Andrew Robertson. The central midfields are Bruno Fernandes, Jordan Henderson, and Kevin De Bruyne. And the strike force is Mohamed Salah, Jamie Vardy, and Sadio Mane. So for teams, we've got one, two Manchester City players, one, two, three, four, five, six Liverpool players, one Leicester player, one Manchester United player, and one Sheffield United player. So that's what I've got for my Premier League team of the season. I will tweet this out 
right before the start of the show today. So make sure you go look at that if you have not already, or you probably saw that before you clicked on the link, to be 100% honest with you. But that is what I'm thinking is going to happen this year. Now, if we keep looking at my Premier League predictions, I guess we didn't look at all of my predictions that I had yesterday. So to continue that, uh, awards, manager of the year, Pep Guardiola. Uh, I would give it to Chris Wilder for what he did with Sheffield United, keeping them in ninth. But honestly, it's going to go to Jurgen Klopp. Again, I've said this about 500 times. First title in 30 years for one of the biggest clubs in England. One of the biggest clubs in the world, let alone England. He's going to win the Premier League player manager of the season. Jordan Henderson is going to win the Premier League player of the season. Kevin De Bruyne should realistically win it with his 20 assists this season. But again, captaining a Premier League winning side for the first time in thir- their first ever title, Jordan Henderson is going to win it. Goal of the season, I said Felipe Anderson. I really don't know why, but that's what I said in my goal of the season predictions. Don't really know why. PFA's player of the year, Raheem Sterling. Again, going to be Jordan Henderson. PFA young player of the year. I said Phil Foden. I think that should honestly go to Marcus Rashford for the stuff. He did 17 goals, uh, seven assists this year for Manchester United. Now, Martial had one more assist than Rashford. But I would give it to Rashford. The seven man of the match awards that he's had this season. Second in the Premier League. Joint with with Sadio Mane. I would give him the young player of the year. People forget because of how long he's been playing that he's only 21 years old. He's 22. He's two weeks older than me. So, yeah. I would put Mark Rashford in there, but I could see Phil Foden winning that as well. Also, people that could be in the running for that. Uh, who else could be in there? Trent Alexander-Arnold could easily be up there as well. Second in the Premier League in assists. Same age as Marcus Rashford. Uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka could be thrown up there as well. Dean Henderson, even. But I would go Rashford. Trent Alexander-Arnold's probably going to win it, though, for the Young Player of the Year. FWA Football Review is pretty much what comes in second. It's like the Offensive Player of the Year. Usually is the guy that comes in second in the MVP voting. Uh, so I put Harry Kane on here. That's probably going to be Kevin De Bruyne, if I'm being honest. 20 assists, too much there. PFA player, Fans Player of the Year, that's going to be Kevin De Bruyne as well. I think the fans will vote Kevin De Bruyne as the, as the rightful winner of that. While Jordan Henderson will win the Player of the Season, the PFA Players Player of the Year is what I'm thinking is going to happen this year. So that's what I've got for my Premier League predictions from the start of the year and what i'm thinking right now here on july 27th of 2020 so yeah that's what we're thinking at this point in time and it's it's been fun i'm gonna miss the premier league when it's out for the 48 days but we got champions league football or soccer coming up really soon so make sure you're ready and prepared for that uh transfer news for soccer i saw this this morning of kai havertz is on the verge of joining chelsea so that's gonna be fun can't wait to see Kai Averts play for Chelsea with Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech. Now, if their defense can get figured out, I'd fear Chelsea a little bit more. But going forward, there's not going to be a lot of teams that stop. And with the pace of Werner, the skill of Hakim Ziyech, and the versatility and skill of Kai Havertz with Christian Pulisic on the left, Conte holding midfield, Mason Mount, Kovacic, all those guys. Now, they're back four, shaky. They dropped Kebar Zabalaga. In the last game of the season, so he's going to be gone this summer, you would anticipate. Jan Oblak's been the rumored target of them, swapping Keppa and Jan Oblak, which would be an absolute steal for Chelsea. If they get those players, if they get Oblak this offseason and get a guy like Ben Chilwell or Tagliafico or what other left-backs could they be looking at? Alexandro might be a target. I don't know if he is. I'm just spouting out left-backs. If they can get a proper left-back, a proper goaltender, and get Declan Rice, because I've heard they want Declan Rice, and he could play center back for Chelsea. Because Declan Rice and Mason Mount are like best friends, and Declan Rice is from the Chelsea Youth Academy. So him going back to Chelsea makes sense, even though West Ham and Chelsea are big rivals. Or rivals, I don't know if they're big rivals. They're rivals nonetheless, though, being in London. But yeah, Chelsea about to be a little more interesting this year. Manchester United the same, getting likes of Jaden Sancho. Jack Grealish looks to be linked, but with Aston Villa staying up, Jack Grealish is going to be a little more expensive than what Manchester United were in ri- originally anticipating. Luke Shaw's job is up for grabs. There's going to be a center back coming in, another central midfielder probably coming in, maybe another striker coming in. Just add a little bit more pressure to the team if they feel Mason Greenwood would be best served as a right winger, even though his defensive capabilities are lacking 
to say the least. Great going forward, but not the best defender. So I'd recommend just playing him as a center forward, rotating with Martial, Rashford on the left. If not, you want to put Greenwood on the left or right. He can play all over the place. Sancho on the right. Fernandez in the number 10 spot. Pogba, in my dream world, they buy Saul Niguez from Atletico Madrid. Uh, if not him, get a guy like Declan Rice if you really want to. Just a natural midfielder, defensive midfielder. And Saul's versatility would be very crucial to the side. Center backs, look at David Alaba would be a very good target. Played a lot of center back for Bayern Munich. One of the most versatile players in the world, much like Saul Niguez, which is what I like in a player. Nice versatility. Like, I love Mason Greenwood because of that. You could also look at the likes of Kalidou Koulibaly, uh, Declan Rice, again, as a center back, as well as a central midfielder. Ben Chilwell will be someone I'd target as a left back to replace Luke Shaw, whose position is kind of up in the air. But Luke Shaw, since Brandon Williams has been pushing him, has been playing better than what he has in years gone by. Since his injury in P- against PSV, Luke Shaw is, looks like he's back. He's gaining a little weight, but that's whatever. That's what I'm thinking could go on right now for the Premier League and transfer predictions, all that kind of stuff. So with that being said, let's end it here today. I wanted to go over the NFL Top 100 Players list, but we're going to get that tomorrow because I got some good things from that from Stay Woke Wednesday. Got some players in there that a lot of people might not agree with that I think are definitely deserved. I was surprised this one player was in there, but he deserves it nonetheless. He's The pre-draft stuff with people is starting to unravel a little bit. And we'll talk about this player. If you know me, you know who that player is, but we'll talk about that tomorrow. So with that being said, that's all I've got for you today on this Tuesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I will see you all tomorrow. Peace.